Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3. This is Lawson Heights Alliance Church, and it is May 29, 2022. This Sunday, we conclude our series in Psalm 100, a psalm to live by, and the message is entitled this Sunday, Continue. May God bless you as you listen. But I hope you're having a good day already. But what is good? Good is a relative expression, isn't it? What's our definition of good? Well, if you were to ask kind of the man on the street uh, what good is, he would probably identify certain moral qualities or maybe good deeds or at least good as synonymous with kindness. Psalm 100 is a song to live by. We've been journeying through this psalm uh, for probably a month now, and we've been learning a lot about it and about us and about our God through it. It's a short psalm. It's only five verses long, but it is packed with reasons to give praise to God. Amen? Remember, Psalm 100 was written either during the last part of the Babylonian captivity by the Jew, uh, of the Jews or as the Jews were leaving Babylon to rebuild their lives back in Jerusalem, to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their worship, and to rebuild their temple there. But in their minds whether currently or as a not-so-long-ago memory, there is the knowledge that they were in captivity because of their sin and their idolatry had put them there. Last week, I re- last two weeks ago, I read to you from 2 Chronicles 36. It says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians and God gave them in, all into their hands, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Now keep in mind that as we read, keep that in mind as we read Psalm 100. That was sort of where they were going. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Seventy years of captivity in Babylon. How good did the average Jew think God was for letting them suffer like this? How loving did the average Jew feel that God was being toward them in this time of captivity? Were they worried that they had gone too far and now God would just forget about them? Well, 70 years is a long time. When I was 15 years old, my dad was lying in a hospital bed dying of cancer. I vividly remember pleading with God to heal him. I said, if you're real, and understand that at that time I didn't believe he was, I didn't have a Christian upbringing, I knew nothing about God, until that time when I decided that I would ask of God something. I didn't have a desire to know God before that. But desperation is a good incentive for a newfound faith, isn't it? So I said, I You're supposed to be all-powerful. So if you're real, prove yourself to me by healing my dad. Well, within months, my dad died. How good 
and loving and faithful do you think a 15-year-old thinks God is when they go through that? Now transpose that scenario onto a middle-aged couple who've maybe just lost their son. Or how good and loving and faithful does anyone think God is when they're facing heartache of any kind? Slip your own pain into that question. And then try to imagine, and, and if, if you've been there, then you know the challenge of continuing to praise God in those struggles. I would imagine, though none of us have, been, have experienced the kind of oppression as, as a Babylonian captivity, I'm sure we've, we've all wondered, based on our own experiences, how good and loving and faithful God is being toward us when we're facing our hardships. How do we continue praising God in the midst of trouble and pain? That's sort of our question for today from Psalm 100. Let's walk through this together. Point number one is this. Looking back on my past struggles, I see the Lord was good to me. Looking back on my past struggles, I see that the Lord was good to me. Verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. For, oh, I saw a few of you uh, jump at that one. I know it was a little random, maybe a little startling, but that's how our text starts for today. Not, not in a golfing analogy, but sort of in a heads-up kind of a thing. See, when you say for at a golf course, you're yelling out heads-up so that no one gets surprised by a golf ball on the back of the head. Psalm 100 verse 5 starts out with for as well. And I know it's spelled differently, but the idea is similar. According to the United States Golf Association, the prefix for, F-O-R-E, originated during the Middle Ages, and in general, it indicates something is a for. It's something that is ahead or in front of or foretold. And kind of like the word foreman, right? It's somebody that goes before. And, and all these have meanings of something that is before or first. In the 1800s, golfers and golf courses used to hire four caddies, they were called. Before, they were just called caddies. They, were, they hired four caddies, people who would run ahead of the tee-off to keep track of the ball after it had been struck. And the golfer would then yell out, four caddy, shortened later to, to four, to warn the caddy, that the ball was coming his way, to which the caddy would respond, ouch. <laughs> Similarly, the word four in verse five yells at you to pay attention. I mean, we start the, the, the psalm with shout for the Lord, and now we're getting this loud four. Four says, this is the reason for what has been said so far. So walking through what has already been said in the psalm, going verse by verse, you could add, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful to each segment of Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. Worship the Lord with gladness, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. Know that the Lord is God, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. It is he who made us, and we are his, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, for the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, 
For the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. In this way, the psalmist is reminding his fellow Jews, whether they're still in captivity or they've just been released from captivity, that there are very good reasons, even though they've been through a whole lot of trouble and pain, there are very good reasons to continue to praise and worship Yahweh. And ultimately, it is because the Lord has already showed them in their past experience with him as a nation. And he proved to them over and over again that he is good, loving, and faithful. See, from their experience, Israel learned that life is hard because God is good and they are not. That was the reality of their life experience. They, they know God is good. He is both morally good. In other words, everything he does is good. And he enjoys doing good and giving good things to his kids. But sometimes, well, many times, Israel pressed the bounds of God's goodness by not being good to him, by neglecting him. And then betraying him. And even worshiping other gods instead of him. And as a result, in order, to, in order for God to keep being good to them, sometimes God would have to make life hard for them. To remind them what happens when they ignore him and reject him. That's why Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. That's why the flood came in Noah's day. Why Egypt oppressed Israel for 400 years, why, why Israel wandered the desert for 40 years after the exodus, and why they were now exiled and in captivity to the Babylonians for 70 years. And they didn't know it then, but their troubles were still not over. Now, if you're not familiar with Israel's story with Yahweh, Yahweh, God, laid out right from the very beginning that there would be consequences and hardship and pain and even death if they ignored and rejected him and turned their backs on him and turned to other gods. But they often did it anyway. Yahweh also told them that the reason that, the reason that they would experience those consequences would be for the purpose of bringing them back to himself. And after thousands of years of experience with Yahweh, Israel saw those consequences as the goodness of God, even as painful as they were. Are you experiencing hardship and pain these days? I'm not saying you're experiencing hardship because of unfaithfulness toward God. Could be. You'd probably have to ask God about that. But see, hardship should always regardless of disobedience or not, hardship should always drive us to our knees to ensure that we are remaining loyal to the Lord who remains loyal to us. We need to remind ourselves that sometimes we make bad decisions, sometimes accidentally, sometimes willfully, and those choices make our lives a lot harder. And because we're often more self-centered than we ever care to admit, we blame God for our trouble. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says it very clearly. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their hearts rage against the Lord. Have you ever seen that in others? Maybe even in yourself? 
The other reality is your hardship may have nothing to do with your disobedience or obedience to the Lord or even someone else's. It might just be the natural entropy of life and creation. In other words, in layman's terms, it might just be bad luck befalling you. And so we're so obsessed with comfort and safety that we fear any kind of discomfort and risk these days. COVID showed us that. In fact, we we think that we're entitled to not have hardship and trouble, don't we? And we figure because God is all-powerful that He should somehow work all that out for us. And when all is going well with us, then God is good, we, we figure. And it's easy to continue praising Him when God is good to us. But when our luck changes, and you, and you know it eventually will, or something breaks down, and you know that it eventually will, we feel slighted by God. What? Why would God be doing this to me? Who else do we have to blame? But the fact of the matter is, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we live in a broken world, and things are by nature breaking down. Our bodies, our jobs, our politics, our relationships, our religion, even the very good creation that we live in, all of it is breaking down. So, in all reality, we can't expect to live forever in a world and in bodies that are tainted and affected by that original sin. We can't expect to not experience disease or old age or even death. They are eventualities, inevitabilities. We can't expect to experience good from God all the time. But that word good is a relative term, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that God isn't good. As we read the psalmist's words, for the Lord is good. That really is Israel's story, even after so much hardship and pain and even death. For the Lord is good. From their experience... And their experience should inform our experience. God is good. And that should always be our response to hardship. To lift our gaze to the one who has proven himself to ultimately bring good to those who belong to him, who follow him. And sometimes that's all we have. We may not understand why God has allowed certain things to happen, of course. And in the midst of the hardship, it It does hurt to think that God would allow it. Let's be honest about that. But we can also be confident, based on the story of Holy Scripture, that Yahweh will be good because He is good. And looking back on your life, can you not agree with the psalmist that the Lord is good? Looking back, can you not see how he has brought you through certain things and helped you to endure certain things? Point number two. Because I've seen the Lord's goodness in my past struggles, I can believe the Lord loves me always. Because I've seen the Lord's goodness in my past struggles, I can believe the Lord loves me always. Verse five, for the Lord is good And his love endures forever. His love endures forever. The Hebrew word there for love is 
expressed by the psalmist as the steadfast love of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. It is a kind of resolute, never-failing, never-ending kind of love. That's what's encapsulated in that Hebrew word. That's why the translators use two words, endures forever, to define it. But we know that love is more than just a response that God has to Israel. In the same way that good is within the very nature of God, enduring forever love is part of God's nature too. He is love. We know from the New Testament uh, expression of that, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, the, the apostle says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And as John says, because he is love, we can know and rely on God to always be loving toward us in everything that he does. And that means that his acts of love are always going to be an outworking of his nature. By nature, God is a God of love. So the question is, how does God love me? If we don't answer this question biblically, you know what will happen? We will inevitably interpret God's love for us through our own personal definitions of love, which have really come to us by way of the world. And when we do that, when, we, when the details of our lives don't match those definitions, what do we do? We doubt God's love for us. At best, we will walk through our faith confused. At worst, as so many believers have done, we will walk away from God completely. Assuming that he is not loving enough to help me in my trouble now, then perhaps he is not powerful enough to help me. That's sort of what goes on in our heads. As I mentioned earlier, I was 15 when, my, when the day my mom told me and my sister that our dad was going to be in the hospital and that he had an incurable cancer kind of hard thing for a kid to hear because you think, well, you think you are, but you also think your parents are indestructible. But that's all she could get out. Your dad is dying of incurable cancer before she burst into tears herself. My dad came out of the hospital for just a few days in December. My mom hoped to be able to take care of him at home until he died, but because of complications, he had to be rushed back to the hospital and within days, he passed. Now, I had no former experience with God, as you know, and I've, I, I didn't know the story of Israel and their hardships. I didn't know any Christians to hear their story and their hardships. I'd heard through the grapevine that God was a loving God, but I wasn't feeling it. And so for the next few years, I struggled to reconcile what I heard about God being a God of love and my own family's pain. And you know what? You or maybe someone you know is experiencing that very thing these days. You know, it wasn't until I became a follower of Jesus myself that I understood the love of God. Then the light bulb goes on. It wasn't until I heard the stories of God's love for Israel despite their sin and idolatry. It wasn't until I heard the story of Jesus who made it very clear that he loved the Father and that the Father loved him. Yet he was made by the Father 
to go through the worst possible sufferings for me and for you. It wasn't until I heard from the Bible the reason that he did it. And you'll all be familiar with this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to what? Save the world through him. So what that showed me was that God was familiar with hardship and pain himself. It showed me that Jesus was familiar with God's dreadful silence in the midst of his struggle. And because of that, I discovered that God can sympathize with me. He can empathize with me in my struggles, in my pain, in my hardship. Not only that, but like the people of God in the psalmist's day, God's people today, because of Christ's suffering, have a newfound ability to comfort one another. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is from God's, words, God's word translation. Because Christ suffered so much for us, we can receive so much comfort from him. Besides, if we suffer, it brings others comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, we can effectively comfort others when you endure the same sufferings. Friend, the external details of your life might stay the same for the rest of your life. You might have the same boring job for the next 30 years. You might never get married. Your marriage might never get better. Your disability or disease might stay the same until you die. But if you learn to rehearse the love that God has shown you so far through Christ, through his word, then, friend, it will allow you to overcome the hardships and the pain with purpose and hope and joy because God loves you. And you will be able to believe God's love for you for the rest of your life and never doubt it. And that is a reason for continued praise, isn't it? Number three, because I've seen the Lord's love for me in the past, I know he will, always, he, will, he will be always faithful to me in the future. Because I've seen the Lord's love in my past, I know he will always be faithful in the future. Verse 5, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Think that through. His faithfulness will continue through all generations. The psalmist's third rationale for praise is rooted in God's faithfulness, and a term the Old Testament Jews would have resonated with strongly, especially with the idea of covenant, because they were a covenant people. And the emphasis on generations brings that out here in the passage. Israel was God's chosen people because the covenant-making God chose them. That's why. It wasn't because they were better than any other nation. It wasn't because they were prettier or stronger or politically more powerful. They were chosen by God because he chose them, period. And that's why he has chosen you. Because he chose you. 
And as these Jews in the era of Psalm 100 reflect back on their past covenants with Yahweh, they saw that. They saw that while generation after generation, they may have failed to be faithful to those covenants themselves, God always remained faithful. Always. And in that way, God alone deserves the continued praise that the psalmist calls for. God is faithful. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, it is a tragedy that generation after generation, Israel failed to maintain their part of the covenants. The proof of God's enduring goodness and love is that human unbelief it has no bearing on God's faithfulness. Human unfaithfulness does not nullify or limit the faithfulness of God and the love and the goodness of the Lord in any way. Isn't that good news? And yet if we allow ourselves a moment of honesty, it's in times of hardship and suffering. There tends to be this voice that we hear. Even with all that we know from Scripture, even from all of our own past experience, there tends to be a voice within us that calls God's faithfulness into question. Will he come through for me? For me? Will he provide? Will he heal? Will he save? Will he strengthen? I've prayed for stuff before. I've seen him be faithful to others. Will he be faithful to me now? Those are our questions, aren't they? Anytime we wrestle with God's faithfulness, I guarantee that it's fear that sparks our questioning. The fear of being abandoned by God. The fear of His silence. The fear of hopelessness. The hopelessness of going through all of those troubles on our own. We fear that his inaction will prove that he is, that he either doesn't care for us or love us, or worse yet, that maybe he doesn't exist at all. And we have maybe then believed in vain. Friend, don't let fear dissuade you from trusting the Lord's faithfulness. And when fear hits, probably due to hardship, maybe even your own sin, reflect back on the faithfulness of God through the, through the generations of Israel. They had the same feelings and thoughts that you have when we go through troubles as they went through troubles. They had the same thoughts. Will God be faithful? I wasn't faithful. But will God be faithful to me? And friends, you know what? That's why he's given us our Bibles. These really awesome books. God's faithfulness is, is the restless testimony of the people of God. And when they get to the end of their journey on a part, like the end of 70 years of captivity, they look back and they go, oh, you know what? Yeah, that was tough. But God is good. He is loving. And he has been faithful all along. And look. He's changed the heart of, of the king to, of Persia to be able to allow us to go back home. God's faithfulness is the relentless testimony of the people of God. And I hope it shall be in, the, in this generation. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. 
There it is, plainly stated. You will have trouble, but take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. And because he has, and because he has proven himself faithful through all generations and through his Bible, we have every reason to continue to give praise and worship to God. You know what? A tremendous amount of stability comes into your life when you will let the Bible define who God is and how you should think about him and what he thinks about you. And what he has promised to do for you. Every single day, you and I are challenged to question God's faithfulness, to be fearful of God, to question his goodness and his love. And every second of the day, the world will tempt to coerce you, to abandon the Lord you love, to throw its, by throwing its propaganda of fear and contempt for God in your face. See, he doesn't care for you. And that's why Israel was in captivity into Babylon in the first place. And every other time before that. Because they allowed the world to tell them who the Lord was and wasn't. They were coerced with the fear of missing out. That's why they went after other gods who would give them what they wanted. And so they ignored the Lord. And then they forgot the Lord. And then they turned away from their covenant promises to the Lord. But friends, if we will literally, seriously get into our Bibles and we will allow our Bibles to tell us what God is like and not let godless people or social media do all the informing, then we will see how God has always been faithful to his people. And that will show us what to expect from God in this generation and the next. And folks, these truths that we find in our Bibles will coax us with a desire and a compulsion to continue to praise and worship the Lord, even if our current experience is hard. For, friends, let me give you a heads up. And let us have a heads up together to be resolute to continue to praise the God of our forefathers. Because Israel's story, because they are a covenant people, is now our story because we are part of the covenant promises of God. Amen? I'm going to walk us through a responsive reading of Psalm 100. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read the yellow print if you will read the white print, are you ready? And I wouldn't be offended at all if you yell out that first word. <laughs> Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now let us continue to praise our God. Let's continue by standing and let us sing out with one another.
how good and faithful and loving our Heavenly Father is. He is a good, good Father. Let's praise Him for that.